Hey everybody, welcome back to Tech Strong TV and another episode of Tech Strong Women. I'm so very excited to uh, be here today and with my amazing lineup of guests. I do want to uh, record them, or not record them, I do want to introduce them, but before we do get started, I want to welcome my co-host Tracy Bannon. Thank you so much for joining me as always. Great to see you. Thank you, Charlene. It's always fun. So our guests today are two uh, very established, uh, very, very smart and very, very wonderful women to talk to. First of all, we've got Nishida Henry, who is the U.S. Consulting uh, Chief Innovation Officer over at Deloitte. And then we have Beth, ba Beth Ann Bygum, who is the Senior Vice President and Chief Security and Compliance Officer over at Act. Axiom. I think that's how it's pronounced. Uh, Nishida and Bethann, thank you both for joining me today, joining Tracy and me. I, I, I appreciate it. I'm sure Tracy does as well. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you both for being here. want to talk to you guys about how you're, you're your journey, basically. We want to celebrate, which is the, the focus of Tech Strong Women, is really celebrating the successes of, of females and basically all humans in IT, but uh, really emphasizing uh, the, the path that females have, uh, have traveled as they have climbed up the ranks. And so we're interested in talking to you about any number of things that you believe have helped you along your way, whether it's mentoring, whether it's communication, whether whether it's non-traditional career roles, whether it's uh, recognizing and understanding uh, uh, issues such as generational diversity, we can talk about, uh, you know, and we probably will talk about a number of topics. Um, but uh, first, I want to throw it over to Tracy, see if she's got any uh, opening remarks and, and then maybe she can kind of kick off the conversation. Yeah, less opening remarks and more about jumping straight into talking about, um, hopefully Jody has the um, bleep button for me, but we're going to talk to a couple of badasses right now. Um, I've known Nishida for a number of years, having worked together at Deloitte. And Nishida, first of all, congratulations on this continued climb. Now that you are leading innovation, I've got to know, like, are you in a chief futurist type role or are you mentoring and bringing along groups that are bringing you ideas? Talk a little bit about what that role is. Yeah, you know, innovation means different things to different people, different organizations. And when I took the role of chief innovation officer here, the first order of business was defining what it meant to Deloitte. And for us, it's all about how do we transform ourselves from a purely professional services organization to one that is professional services meets solutions, assets, and products so that we're combining IQ plus IP. And how do we do that as an organization, partnering with you know, the, the current tech software providers, with startups, with VCs, with other corporations? How do we do it in a way that transforms our culture to be one of product mindset and product engineering? And then how do we scale those businesses, especially at a time where the market for services is booming? right? No better time to transform yourselves when things are going well, but it's also very hard because it's the innovator's dilemma of how do you keep the, the ship running and moving along and capturing the current market while preparing for a new one. Um, so it's really all about the entire life cycle of ideating and incubating, testing, scaling, and launching new businesses for Deloitte. And that's 
particularly difficult is, and I'm, I'm seeing this day to day, is having the amazing investment in, and I mean human investment in the innovation side of it and giving people the grace to be allowed to experiment and to have successes and things that are not as successful. And then the transition of that great idea, operationalizing that great idea, that's a that's a huge divide between those two. How are you starting to, to branch that when you have these amazing new capabilities or technology sets? How are you taking those and actually starting to operationalize against them? Yeah, so part of it is how do we do things in a way that we can do it fast and quick fail fast and succeed right and in scale and so we're we're creating kind of a a incubator concept we call it Deloitte Catalyst uh, where we have partnered right we have we have a core we we, we of, of a business and we have the edge which I call ourselves right so new business innovation is kind of at the edge we're separated from the core practice but we're integrated with them in a way that we don't do projects or we don't take on new ideation without the core in partnership. So we've, we've partnered with them in order to ideate at industry intersections, right? So at Deloitte, our depth is really understanding sectors, industries, and our clients' missions across business, people, and technology. And so we really want to understand what are the gaps in the market? What are the challenges that we see um, our clients facing? What are things that our competitors are doing? And what are they not doing? Um, and so what do we actually pull together in terms of solutions? Ideate and protect that at the edge for some time until we can actually get a few wins under our belt. We can demonstrate traction. We can demonstrate a vision and a full roadmap. And then we can say, let's actually invest in this like a series end business, right? Let's we upfront give it seed money. And then we say, let's actually go big. Let's do multi-year investment. Let's make sure you know we have a set of payback metrics that we want for that investment. Let's make sure we're not unduly burdening it with surrounding administration so it can flourish. And so it operationalizes itself once we've provided a series N investment in order for us to actually create a, a, a long-term and large solution. And then once we say we've scaled it, right, we have certain metrics for when it reaches scale and when we think it's ready to kind of fly on its own, right, it graduates, right, from our NBI ecosystem into the network as another offering. Right, as another solution that we're actually just taking to market, like everything else we do. And so we try to show that full life cycle where we protect it at the edge for some time, we're integrating with the core, and then we're spinning it out. I love it. So it's get that first success, sustain that success at that small, you know, and, and make sure you've got the scaffolding before you start to scale. It sounds like you have a pretty decent ecosystem flowing for that and going from smaller to larger. I mean, Bethany, when I think about your background and how far you're scaling with the different things that you're doing, do you have to take kind of a similar mindset in that in that approach to starting small, being protective and then scaling things out? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, the threat landscape and changes in regulatory expectations as it relates to hygiene as in, when you're talking about the management of data and the protection of data is um, pivoting at, at a speed, tremendous speed that we'd never seen before. We knew this was coming, right? We've been forecasting change in technology and getting ready for whether or not you want to believe it's called the Web3 or next-gen compute. Um, we know that um, the ability to defend is at the code level. I mean, we are there. And uh, organizations that are not revamping their security strategy and or the investment strategy that has to couple uh, a protection strategy is, is really uh, an organization that's just not necessarily preparing for that future. 
Um, so on a very similar track for sure. I, I was reading an article the other day and, and I think we're at the place where everything uh, that teams develop that work on, everything's a product. So uh, Nishida, to your point, if we're not thinking product first, product strategy, and then how do you protect um, and respond to any kind of uh, expectations related to those products, we're not necessarily um, preparing ourselves to be scalable, to be profitable, uh, and then as always to, to meet any expectation from the regulatory lens. The, uh, the change from project to product, that word, I think we're going to see that, and not as a hype, but as a real thing, doubling down on doubling down on product. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, and I hear that all the time. And, and it's, it's almost reached buzzword status. But, you know, there, there's, there's still some real meat on that bone there. So, but uh, I'm interested in, in finding out from the both of you guys, you know, where you got, how you guys got started. I mean, and is, is this something, did you take a, a direct path to where you are? Or is this something that, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you never thought that this would be something that you uh, that you would have achieved. Nishida, why don't we start with you? Where, what is your background and how did you kind of get to where you are today? Yeah, it's always a funny question when people ask me that. I'm like, you know, you can plan all you want, but life happens, right? Exactly. Um, <laughs> I uh, graduated with an undergrad in electrical engineering. Um, at the time, you know, I thought I wanted to be really super techie and I interned at some of those kind of, you know, product companies. Um, but I realized I also really loved the art of problem solving. And I loved working with people in order to have technology solve business problems. Um, and so, you know, that's why I really love consulting. Um, it allows me to do both of those things. Um, and I really started out on the professional services track and whether it was advising CIOs, um, implementing large scale, uh, you know, systems, modernizing and transforming, taking mainframes and putting, you know, applications in the cloud, implementing new customer experience systems, uh, you know, transforming, you know, people's experiences from a user perspective, did a lot of that type of work all throughout my early career. Um, and as I grew in terms of management roles, uh, you know, I always saw myself as growing in a professional services realm, right? Whether I'm leading an offering or a capability or leading a sector or an industry kind of go to market space. And about three years ago, um, our CEO then said, hey, Nishida, I have a great idea. And I was like, okay, what's this great idea? <laughs> like, we want you to come be the chief innovation officer. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, what is that? I don't know what that means. I don't know what that person does. <laughs> are you trying to get rid of me? <laughs> and it was really funny because like, you know, when everybody, someone takes you off the path you thought you were on or asks you to do something different, you question it. You're like, I don't understand. Like, I thought I was doing really well here. And what I learned is new opportunities come from different directions all the time and making yourself open to that can lead to a lot of great things, right? I developed a whole new network. My, my network was mostly in our government practice. I'm now kind of over, you know, our entire practice, which is our commercial and our government practice. My network grew immensely. My knowledge of the market grew immensely. My skills as a leader grew from being a very, you know, direction-based leader to being a very influential space leader. Uh, my external network grew. Uh, and so I can say that it's been a wonderful experience on all fronts. 
Um, and I've just had a lot of fun, right? I've had fun developing a new part of our business, developing new skills, creating a new leadership team. Um, and so I, you know, I always say, you know, be be open to those new things that you don't that aren't always in your line of sight as to where where you planned your career, what you thought you'd be doing, because you never know where it may lead. So no, definitely not a Oh, go ahead, Charlene. I, I was just going to say, I, it's really interesting that the, your, your, your reaction was, oh my God, am I going to get fired? Mm-hmm. And, and it seems to me that that, that that's kind of our default. You know, we always feel like, I, and I'm generalizing here, but, but I felt that I feel the same way whenever, you know, life throws me a curveball and, and it's actually an opportunity. Mm-hmm. My first inclination is to think, oh my God, I've screwed up something. I've done something wrong. I'm not, I'm not perfect for this job or whatever, when it's actually, you know, a, a real step forward. But I, I, I don't think that that is the same mindset that we see, you know, happen with, with men when they are offered these opportunities. A lot of times they actually do look at them as opportunities. I'm wondering, I, I, am I, am I wrong? Am I, am you mean that we default to off-ramp mentality? Is this an off-ramp? No, it's an interchange. Is this an off-ramp? No, it's an interchange. Um, I'd be interested, Bethann, what your thoughts are on that, because you are in a field that traditionally has been hyper-male dominated, right? Security cyber was the, the male thing. We had women technologists, but we're seeing a boom in the cyber area. Talk a little bit about that for you when somebody gave you that next, you know, that next job, that next role. You know, Tracy, um, the sponsors that that have been helping shape and groom the career are really, you know, people that I think and I appreciate. But, you know, at the end of the day, it was the ability to understand the value that I bring to the table that is what allowed me to successfully um gain the position where I am today. And the ability to say that with a certain level of confidence is not from a a place of of ego. I am supported by an amazing team that teach me um, on a daily basis. But I think as women, we have to get to a place where we're comfortable with being able to articulate the contribution that we bring at a business level. So when I have a conversation with my leaders, I go straight to the value proposition that I bring to the organization and the contributions that I have helped shape and or contribute either from uh, an an off, you know, a a risk reduction or offset perspective, or right now what I'm working on is helping to drive opportunities that are directly related to revenue. I mean, when you look at the threat landscape, security is out of all the lines of business, security is the enabler that will facilitate uh, a frictionless ecosystem. And I, I can't really take that quote because my sponsor who I trained under many years ago, uh, that was his whole focus. Um, And so I think as human beings, not just women, maybe predominantly for us because of historic practice, but putting that aside, um, I have just, you know, at a certain point in the juncture, just become comfortable with just stating, this is a business conversation. I am a brand. 
I bring value to the organization. We'll, we'll have this conversation from that point of reference and we'll negotiate from that point of reference. Um, I, I think what was interesting over the course of my journey was um, I would seek out positions or opportunities where they were failing. I wanted to be the person that jumped in and solved it. Uh, so I would stand up and take the problems um, because at the end of the day, I knew that number one, I would grow from that opportunity, but uh, most of all, it was an accomplishment that no one could take away from me. So I always seek out the problems um, because that's how we grow. So you're a fire jumper. And I appreciate that. I had my opportunities uh, to be that fire jumper in a number of situations. There's a dumpster fire. Here's your parachute. We'll see you later, Bannon. Um, but, you know, you, you bring up something really important. I'd like to tease out just a little bit more. Both of you have actually mentioned that you had to know your ability and had to be able to state your value. Um, and, you know, Bethany, I want to ask you, was there, a, was there a point, an inflection point where you really had to become introspective and say, okay, this is my value. I know my value and kind of change your own personal narrative as you went forward? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, and it's even, it was even more compelling because I entered the cybersecurity space from a non-traditional route. Uh, when you look at a chief security officer, you usually see three archetypes. They're either you know, prior military, prior intel, prior tech, heavy tech, or audit. I, um, you know, the on-ramp that you mentioned earlier, I on-ramped via the audit slash, um, you know, risk uh, space. Um, but I think it was very quickly, um, you know, working with internal audit after a couple of findings when I realized we're, we are defending at the code level. And that's, you know, you know there's these, these junctures and maybe it's the on and off ramp. Tracy, that you are using as an analogy, where you find out you've got the right skill, you're just not using the right narrative, or you're not using the right language, or you're not using the right terminology. So you take a slight pivot on terms, language, you surround yourself with people that speak the right terms, and then you start to assimilate using that, right? And then all of a sudden, you're able to break through, not because you were missing any capability, but you just weren't narrating with the right, you know, they weren't, you know, people weren't recognizing what you were saying because you used the wrong narrative, right? And well, how about you, Nishita? Um, anytime I've ever spoken to you, I always felt like you had every one of the words nailed down from the very beginning. But I, as I go through my journey, I'm assuming that other women, other folks are going through a similar journey of being able to really clearly articulate their value and really be able to state it. Did you go through, I, I find it hard to believe, but did you go through, any, yeah, yes, I've got a girl crush. Um, no, tell me, did you go through that as well? Was there a point where you took a step back and said, yeah, I started out as an electrical engineer and now I'm X. You know, what's interesting, I, I have always focused on the work I'm doing versus who I am. And maybe that's right or wrong. It's just always been more about 
how do I make what I'm doing successful? And what do I bring to enable that to be successful? Whether it's my tech chops or whether it's my people skills or whether it's my understanding of the business and market. And different problems require different parts of that skill set to come through. Yeah. Um, I will say there have been parts of my career, like everybody's, where you doubt your own skill in a space uh, because you're like, am I, am I, do I have the right tech chops? Do I know enough about this? Does that person know more than me? Um, and I think part of it is learning what this in this job and in technology, everybody's always learning. The world is always changing underneath us. And so no one person knows everything. It's all about how do you assimilate information and learn new things Two, it's around, Hey, if someone on the team didn't believe I had those tech chops, um, because there've been situations in my earlier career where I'd be put in a really technical role. And there'd be people there like, what is she doing here? She can't possibly have that technology. Whether or not it was unconscious bias because I was a woman, whether they didn't know my background, I have no idea, right? But in those instances, I think it was important to have the right sponsors around me that knew that I had the chops and could support me when I wasn't in the room. And I think it was me just doubling down my efforts and demonstrating my skills. So I think it was two of those things. And then as you gain more and more experiences around across your career, you define yourselves and your value in many different ways, right? So I don't know that I have one thing that defines me. Um, I, I would say it, when people come and ask me to get things done is because they know that I can bring people along the journey. I can communicate effectively and I'm a driver. I go and get things done, right? And so those that's actually how I define myself more than a content value because I think that changes with every project or thing I'm working on. I don't know if that made sense, Tracy. Oh, it does. It does. Someone once said to me, don't worry about your value proposition. Don't worry about that. Worry about driving success. And that's actually what I've heard both you and Beth Ann say was Beth Ann's fire jumping. You're taking on other challenges. It's get in there, but you had enough faith in yourself um, or that you could turn around and bring others along that were going to be able to stand with you and help you get to get towards that, that success. So, yeah, Nishita, you also mentioned sponsors, you know, having the right sponsors, people backing you up. How important uh, did you see that along your career path? I mean, were they uh, without them, you'd be nothing or is it more the you know, they they were the ones who kind of provided the stepping stones, if you will, uh, and the leg up here and there to, to to get you where you are today and so that you can then hopefully pay it forward for the next generation. Yeah, I absolutely, you know, credit a lot to, to the sponsors I had and the mentors and the coaches along the way. I do believe they provided stepping stones. I do believe, you know, when I wasn't in the room, they were advocating for me. Um, I do believe they positioned me for certain jobs I may not have even thought I was ready for, right? I mean, I wouldn't have even thought to ask to do this chief innovation officer role if it wasn't for some of my sponsors, right? I wouldn't have thought to have kind of even, you know, thought I was ready and gone up for partner if it wasn't my sponsor saying, you're ready. I know that you can do this and and I am in the room talking about how you you're you are experienced and qualified to do the job right um and so I absolutely believe that sponsorship is a huge element of it um and then taking that sponsorship and and then using it and launching it and proving yourself out from it right and not letting it scare you in such a way that oh you have you know this 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 
this like something to live up to, but more as though someone's mm-hmm. given you an opportunity that you should capitalize on, right? Um, and so that's how I viewed that. Uh, but and I believe, I, like you just said, Charlene, I have an op- an obligation and a desire to continue to pay that forward as we sponsor others, and to make sure that we are sponsoring people who don't always have the same background as us, don't always look like us, that didn't come from the same schools or the same education or the same personal situations, right? And so being cognizant of that, I think is incredibly important because I know I wouldn't be here if people didn't say that too, right? Because a lot of my sponsors, frankly, were white men who truly believed in my capability and my, uh, you know, uh, promise for being a leader that that enabled me to be here, even though I didn't look like them. I didn't come from the same place they did. Uh, and so I think it's important for me to, to, to make sure I'm doing the same thing. What about you, Bethann? Have you experienced kind of the same thing vis-a-vis sponsors or mentors or, you know, however you like to, to label it? Um, you know, it, it seems to be such an important element in just succeeding and knowing where you fit in an organization that you might not obviously see right away. It's, it's not an obvious thing to you. So how, how, much, how much has it actually played a role in your career? Well, I always had a balance between mentors and coaches. So, so I just want to start there. Um, there I, I think sometimes people have a, a, a misnomer that one or two coaches, one or two mentors, there isn't one person that's going to sort of balance out or round out some of the skills and competencies that you need to, to develop and then demonstrate as you're moving through your career. So you're going to, you will find that you constantly are or maybe um, partnering with different people to to develop that skill. Um, But from a sponsorship perspective, I I can't emphasize more, you know, that 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 role is so important, especially as it relates to ensuring visibility as you progress uh, through those different upper um, roles. And it's important to not um, it's a, it's important to not assume what that sponsor what what he or she will look like because you just never know who is going to identify um, the strength and, and the competencies and the skills that you bring to the table. So it's important to be open minded. Uh, it's important to look uh, and it's important to have Nishita uh, to your point constantly having conversations with people because you just never know who will be your sponsor. That's true. And and I've had conversations with people who I never thought would be kind of would have my back per se. And and a lot of times it almost um, seemed like a trial by far, fire. I, I was butting heads with somebody over and over and over again. And it turned out they were just testing me. They mm-hmm. wanted to see, you know, they wanted me to prove my mettle. And then once I did that in their eyes, then they they felt that you know, I was uh, capable of taking my career so much farther. So you're absolutely right. The, the, the people, uh, you, the mentors and sponsors come in so many different packages, if you will. Uh, and uh, I, I'm curious to know, Bethann and Anishita, the sponsors that you have today, are they the same ones that, that you had at the beginning of your career? or even mid-career? How's that changed? You know, it's funny. I almost said no, but then I'm thinking about it. The the sponsors who ensured the progression earlier in my career still function in a way as sponsoring and supporting me, but slightly different than the direct sponsors who are helping me today. So 
Maybe it's an evolution for sure. I, I found for myself that it is an evolution. Those folks who might've been mentors to me before, oftentimes are friends and more peer-like uh, in, in ways as they've helped me grow. Um, I've been talking to a, a young woman in particular and giving her the guidance that it's okay for mentors to change over time. It's okay for sponsors to change over time. There are seasons to those relationships and mm -hmm. some will be lifelong and others will be for a window and, and that's great. And there is no right or wrong with that. Mm -hmm. um, Nishido, is that, would you agree with that? Disagree with that? I thought I saw, I had a little head shake there. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And the other thing that's interesting as you advance in your career um, is you get to a level where your peers become coaches and mentors and sponsors because you are all at a level in your organizations that um, you are the leaders, right? And there are always leaders in different places and different parts, but a lot of them are your peers and you work with them every day in different ways. And being open to peer feedback, peer coaching, uh, peer mentorship, I think is incredibly important. Uh, and, and that has been so helpful for me all the way throughout my career, um, in addition to the formal and informal kind of leader mentee situations. Um, from a sponsorship perspective, I do believe that does change over time because your network grows and changes over time. And so you'd want to see that happen. It doesn't mean the ones you've had before um, aren't there now, but they are maybe in different roles in different ways. They sponsor you than the ones you currently have in your circle. So um, I think there are some that will consistently follow and some that will change over time. And I also, you know, I always tell folks, sometimes you have to look at it as kind of who's your own personal board of directors, mm -hmm. right? And there's different members of that board that play different coaching uh, roles, right? Whether that's a professional coaching role and, and maybe it's a leadership style versus a content thing or versus a network thing um, versus somebody like personally who's helping you manage work in life, who is, you know, helping you manage, uh, you know, traveling and, and, and thinking and, and providing you different tips on how do you deal with your teenage girls who just want to argue with you every day, right? So like, it's just a, it's it's a, 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 I look at it as a very integrated board that can sometimes help on both sides and sometimes on one. And it's not always just about work. We are whole people. We come as whole people to work every day and we need coaching on all sides of life. I agree 100%. And, and I, and I believe that mentoring and, 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 and coaching uh, is as much about life skills as it is about, um, you know, career. So I, it, it, it you know, because we do, even though we say we don't, everybody brings their, their work home and home to work. And, you know, if things are not good at home, it's not going to be good at work. And so if you've got somebody who can kind of help you help walk you through some of the issues that you're having and, and put some perspective around things, whether it is a work situation or a home situation, it, it just, it helps tremendously. And, and whether that's, you know, uh, uh, you consider your mentor being, you know, the, your Tuesday night wine club or something like that, you know, it's anybody who can kind of help you get through and process information uh, in a way that is, uh, you know, a, a positive. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I would firmly put those, those types of people in my mentor bucket any day of the week, because they sometimes can give me more than uh, somebody here in, in my office sometimes. But but, you know, I, I'm interested because, you know, you both of you do see the value of mentors and sponsors. What would you guys say would be the best piece of advice that you ever received from somebody, whether it was a mentor, a sponsor, or even a coworker? Nishida, what do you, 
You have any thoughts on that? You want to think about um, it? <laughs> yeah, no, I have a couple of thoughts. There was one, you know, one thing as I was, you know, continuing to grow in my career. Um, it's funny. Someone said to me, Nishita, there's a time in your life where you spend um, a lot of time to save a little money. And then it changes. And there is a time where you spend a lot of money to save a little time. Um, and as a child of immigrants, um, spending money was a big deal to me, right? Regardless of what I made, it was just like, oh my gosh, no, I, I can I can clean my house. No, 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 I, I can do my lawn. No, I, I can take care of this and that and the other thing. And I realized with that was such a freeing concept that said, you know what? I've earned the right to pay for things so that I can use my time um, in much more impactful ways for my kids and for my family and for my job. And so that little tiny little piece of advice truly gave me so much freedom um, that I didn't know I needed. <laughs> and that enabled me to, uh, to be more at peace with paying for help, asking for help, um, and taking that help. I'm wondering if the same person who said that to you was the person who said that to me because it has I been it freeing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but it, but you're right. It was, it was very freeing. And um, to say to my husband, baby, it's, it's okay. I, I think it's okay if we outsource this part of what we're doing, because this is where we want to focus. My husband actually had to go on that journey with me. Um, so it was not just telling me that it was both of us like, but I can do that better. Yes, we can do that. And let's let somebody else let's, let's yeah. go ahead and do that. So, um, Bethann, how's your, how's your connection doing? Cause we've got a question for you. Can you hear us? I am back. Yes. Okay. <laughs> So we, we had asked Nishida and we'd love to hear from you. Is there a piece of advice that you is just at the top of the list? You could look back and say that one really altered the course of how I evaluate things. I think there's three. The first one was when I was in college and I had a professor who said to me, um, you get once in life to prepare and then you're on. Right. And so the, that comment has um, really shaped my thought process in my career over the years because you sometimes you're in the midst of a battle or you're in the midst of something that's just extremely painful. But then when you think about it, that this is my time to prepare, your thoughts around what you're going through and why you're going through it and how to view it all of a sudden change. And then you realize that this is a point in time. The time is going to be over soon. I need to sort of draw from the experience what I need for the next chapter. Um, the second one is more of a parable, uh, which leads to a, a saying that I think I, you know, sticks with me. It's a a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands and poverty will come my way. And it's really more around staying diligent. And I remember I was in a security conference one year and um, an executive was talking about the shift in economic um, powers as, as we watch different countries. Um, and his saying was, you know, we sometimes lose our position because we don't remain hungry. We have to stay hungry. 
And when we are not, when we lose that foundational component, we lose our drive, we lose our focus, we lose that. So I think between, you know, always looking at every opportunity as a time to prepare, coupling that with staying hungry, um, is, is are, are two things that are constantly, you know, with me. Um, now, my team would probably say I need to, like, take a vacation, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> I think we all could use a vacation. But, you know, I'm interested, you know, one of the things that we I did mention at the top of the hour was generational diversity and something that, you know, a lot of organizations are grappling with these days. And, you know, what, what you just said, Beth Ann, really kind of strikes me because there are different ways of working between generations. And so something such as, you know, staying hungry and, and, you know, having that drive may not resonate well with uh, millennials or even Gen Z. So how have you been able to kind of reconcile the way you work with others in, on your team who are, are, you know, of a younger generation who maybe don't have that level of, or at least that maybe overtly have that level of drive? And how do you, you know, how do you make that work regardless? Well, I, the first thing I, I realized a couple of years ago is I needed reverse mentoring, which I did. Um, I It's funny, Tracy, when we started the call, we were talking about different, you know, I'm a, I'm an eighties, right? This is, I am super eighties, right? And shoulder pads, whatever. Um, and so I, I had to acknowledge the fact that I needed reverse mentoring and through that journey with, um, the generation one or two generations, um, what I found is they actually are hungry. It's just what they're hungry for is different, right? And then tapping into what motivates them versus what motivates me, total different dynamic, but they're still motivated, right? Um, and so the diversity, so making sure I have a rounded um, approach to looking at their diverse thought process and what motivates them, what, 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 um, what they drive for, um, has helped change me. I, I still think there's areas where um, I will constantly, you know, tip into their, you know, and rely on their insights. But um, they, they, they really focus more on the working uh, smarter versus harder. I think the 80s was a little bit different. But, you know, I, I think the balance has is, is really been very helpful for me. I, I, I generally don't see them sleeping under the desk quite as often. I'm just <laughs> going to put that out there. <laughs> I was going to say, I think in the 80s, we're all kind of MacGyvered. You know, we, we all just kind of did what had to be done to make make sure something worked correctly. So, yeah, we 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 do uh, tend to work harder. Uh, and I would agree that that there's a, a certain level of intelligence, collective intelligence around working today with the with uh, the, those those kids and their rock and roll music and uh, you those know, pesky uh, children, those pesky like, children. get off my lawn. So. That's right, <laughs> Nishita. What about you? Uh, you know, I I, I feel as though, um, especially in Deloitte, you 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 have a very very diverse uh, employee base, and I imagine you've got uh, a lot of uh, different age groups who are working with you, alongside you, or under you. Um, how have you been able to? Um, deal with this and, and, and it may not even be an issue at all, but uh, is it, is it something that you have recognized uh, the, and, and, you know, how have you dealt with it? 
Yeah, absolutely. We have a a very, you know, generally young workforce, um, a ton of millennials. And I mean, I mean, millennials are 40 now, Gen, right, you know, yeah. the Gen Zers, right? Um, <laughs> the Gen Xers are kind of the ones at the at the leadership at, at the firm. Like there are new leaders, years. right? The, right. The, it's kind the, of crazy. <laughs> the millennials are becoming leaders too. I'm like, yeah. oh, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> How did this happen? All of a sudden we're the adults in the room. Like, you know, it's kind of scary. Um, <laughs> but I will say I, I agree with Beth Ann. Different things motivate different people and different things motivate the younger generation. And I think there's also so much more happening in our external environment than was happening when we were growing up, right? Sure. I mean, just the last two years of, of change of, you know, you've got COVID, you've got, you know, the 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 um, Black Lives Matter and the civil rights issues. You've got um, now a geopolitical situation and a war happening. Um, there's just so many external factors impacting right. everyone's psyche. Um, that it makes it different for people, right? And then you've got the the economic pressures of inflation um, and and high real estate prices, and you know younger folks not being able to afford certain things, and so money becomes an even more motivating factor than it might have been for us um, when we were growing up. Yes, money is motivating for everybody, but in a different way. And so we see people jumping more and more for small increment, what look like to us a small increments of pay versus the long term potential. And that's what we're all grappling with in this quote unquote, you know, great resignation and movement of people and talent. And it's just, it's happening so quickly. And I really do wonder, and Beth, and I'd love to hear what you have to say on this too, right? Is like, over the long run, how is this going to affect society, right? And and what happens to those people who job hopped 10, 15 times over the course of the last, you know, five years versus the people who stuck with it? Um, I, the, the jury's still out, right? We're the stick with it people. I've been with Deloitte 17 years. I had two jobs before that, but then I found something, I got it, and I, and I ran with it. And you just don't see that happening um, at scale anymore. And so I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I do think it has societal impacts. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think, I, I believe the initial wave of impact we're going to see is the lack of ability to problem solve based on historical, you know, um, context. I mean, we're seeing that now. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there, there's, there's rapid approaches to, to address issues, but if there were more context, um, you know, the way we solve things would be slightly different. But I, I do agree. Overall, the verdict is out for sure. Ladies, um, our time is growing very short. And first and foremost, I want to say thank you, thank you, and thank you. I yeah. commit to every one of these conversations. Um, and Charlene will tell you that I always walk away with my note cards of things that I've learned today. So thank you for giving me some mentoring points, some things to noodle on. Um, Such an 80s thing, you know, oh those my. note cards. <laughs> these, these, are, these are rocket book, and I can erase them and I can upload them with the QR code i didn't say i don't do it but you know i was just pointing it out (laughs) i'm trying to modernize just 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 give it to me just give it to me i'll let you have beth ann you know thank you so much for being with us today and and charlene as always for engaging with me in these sparring wonderful sparring contests and and really trying to elevate the conversation um and for everybody who has been on the, the broadcast today we hope that you've enjoyed tech strong women um we will be broadcasting this and other ongoing episodes, continuing to look at how we can elevate women who have done incredible things in technology. They're technologists first, and they're bringing others along with them. And with that, thank you for today.
Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. 